The Performance Lab podcast would like to acknowledge that the land on which we learn and work is the land of the Lenape, Wappinger, and Muncie people. The Performance Lab podcast is invested in the sharing of knowledge and cultivation of curiosity between makers. We invite guest artists to lead a workshop with the MFA candidates of Sarah Lawrence College, after which we interview them. We ask questions tailored to their individual practice, delving deeper into the how and the why of creation. Inspiration is all around us, but how do we hone in on the subjects that drive us? They share with us their tips, tricks, and sources of inspiration. Reflect on past performances slash projects. And keep us up to date on what is next. Stay tuned for the Performance Lab podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Performance Lab podcast. I am Andrew Delvecchio. I am a first-year grad at the Sarah Lawrence College Theater Program. And my name is Kyrie Ellison. I am a second-year grad with the Sarah Lawrence College Theater Program. And today we have with us Fisher Center's Director of Artistic Planning and Producing at Bard College, Caleb Hammonds. Hi, Caleb. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> my pleasure. Caleb, um, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and then maybe about the workshop we just had with you, some of the things you covered uh, with us today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, yeah, currently I'm at the Fisher Center at Bard. Um, we are a, a professional performing arts uh, center situated on a college campus. And we, we are home to the college's undergraduate theater and performance program, the dance program, and to a number of music programs at the college, including two resident orchestras. And in addition to the supporting the student work, we also have a residency and commissioning program called Live Arts Bard. And uh, we also pr produce and present a summer festival every year called Summerscape, which is dance, theater, opera, live music, and classical music. Um, so I uh, oversee all of the um, producing operations, artistic planning, as my title would suggest. Um, and uh, basically that means, um, yeah, like uh, executing all of the development and producing production presentations, lots of coordination between departments um, at the center and facilitating a lot of long-term relationships with artists whose projects we're developing often over um, long periods of time. So yes, today I spoke to um, your class about budgets and contracting and a little bit about touring or packaging your work for um, future engagements, yeah. <laughs> but and and it was a lot of in I I did not anticipate it going so quickly and I, I think I, I I prepared to speak a lot more about uh than the time allowed but I think we hit a lot of the fundamentals I hope I loved that you spoke about contracts and paperwork and whatnot and budgeting it feels like that's something that sometimes uh theater students in general miss out on in their education. Um, could you talk about for a moment the importance of knowing that coming out of theater school or a theater program? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, I 
I I came out of a theater program uh, with a BFA and had very very little uh, exposure to or it, it wasn't it wasn't really discussed in the curriculum. I um, felt fortunate that I had taken like one course about uh, the business side of of things, but and I think since even you know in the time that I spent um, working outside of an academic institution for many years, but then coming uh, to Bard eight years ago and having intera more interactions again with students um, and starting to teach more and be um, invited to speak with students at other institutions, it did, it's, it, it really felt like the, the thing that um, definitely was missing from everyone's <laughs> curriculum to some extent was like, well, so we, we know how we're, we're being trained as artists, we're being trained to be creative thinkers and critical thinkers and practitioners in a um, creative sense, but we, we never talk about the business aspect and um, the logistics and the practical aspects. And, you know, I think that I, I didn't have any formal training about any of this. And a lot of it, uh, all of it was really um, trial by fire to some extent. And depending on the, the uh, resource sharing, generosity of other people that I knew who had been doing this and you know just the the finding out very very quickly the resourcefulness that existed in particularly the downtown theater world in the in New York in the um you know in the in the early two early 2000s that you know this was a a robust time for um young theater makers and performance makers to start their own companies and um to produce their own work and i think that there was just a inherent spirit amongst and community amongst those people where resource sharing became such a uh, fundamental part of it because no one knew what they were doing and 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 you know when the next person sort of found themselves in their in the position of like being invited to do their first tour or receiving their first commission from a certain or, certain organization the spirit of sharing of information like you could always go to another company and um say like, I need a touring contract, do you have one? And people were very, and it was just a very communal space. And I think when, so it's funny when, because when Caden, Caden and I were talking about um, what he uh, wanted me to focus on when I came to the class today, um, and we were talking about just that and, and, you know, reminiscing about how probably like, every New York-based theater company, small theater company in for a certain period of time in the early 2000s used exactly the same contracts and budget templates because the, we were all 
everyone was sharing them. Um, and, and that's what we knew to do. And I think that, you know, the field itself has changed so much and the economics are different. The um, priorities are different. Um, people are making work in different ways. People are presenting work in different ways. Um, there's a greater focus as it should be on community building and, um, on you know local uh, local engagement and um, equity diversity all of these things that have been um, burgeoning um, uh, priorities that I think due to the pandemic and over the past year where everything paused for a while and the conversation I think, in so many productive ways shifted to a reflection of, of and questioning of all of the assumptions that had been part of what were driving our pursuits on a daily basis. And, and so, you know, I think um, this was the first time that I'd spoken to a group of students about these particular, these particular things about budgets and contracts and touring while we're still in the pandemic and and I think for me too that it's even more so now that like this idea of like we're, we we can really we can and we should be questioning any assumptions we had or any expectations that we had to do things in certain ways a year ago and so I had to kind of recalibrate the way that I was approaching this to some degree in that, you know, I think I said this as I was like sharing these examples. I was like a lot of these examples and these templates that I'm sharing with you were like things that were created years and years ago. And so don't focus on the on the the specifics, but focus, but here are the sort of guiding principles that are not going to change. And a lot of those guiding principles are built on what is the what are your priorities at the moment and those don't have to be given and more more so than anything because I, I think you know not only are we going to be emerging into a I think a new maybe creative paradigm of just like what is important was important for artists to make and say at this time. And, um, but the economics are just inevitably going to be different. And I think that, you know, one of the important points that I really wanted to try to make was to find ways in which the fear of money and the fear of resources and, how do you get them? What do you need? Can can hopefully subside because the driving force behind these exercises of making a budget are really a creative exercise more than they are a economics or accounting exercise because ultimately you're trying to fulfill a vision to uh, bring an idea to life and there are so many different ways to approach that but if you 
if you are able to think about the process of making a budget or resourcing a project with the same way that you would approach just getting in a room together with collaborators and starting to make something or starting to put ideas on paper, starting to put ideas on their feet with that same sense of exploration and creativity and um, being willing to fail and willing to learn from that and to be adaptable and resourceful and responsive that it's all it's all toward the same purpose i think um you have a really wonderful way of explaining all of these things in a because i i have definitely have money anxiety all the time i have like number anxiety where i see numbers on the page and they just like mush together by approaching it as like as a creative process and and almost like writing, I think you mentioned in the workshop, writing it as like a narrative. Is it a fictional narrative or a non-fictional narrative? It sort of frees up this expectation of like, I need to know exactly how much I have to ask for or I have to make by breaking it down into these like little bite-sized chunks. So I want to thank you for simplifying that for me personally. I also want to ask you if you have any um, any specific or recommended resources that helped you like get to this process. I know you shared a few of us, a few with us in the workshop, but do you have any, any other books or podcasts or things that you're listening to, things that help you think about this that you would like to recommend? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that so many people just in the world and in our industry at large, I think that we're, we're looking at equity and inclusion and leveling of of a playing field in a very different way because there's always been inequity there's always been resources have always been available to certain people more so than they have been to others access to opportunities have always been more geared toward others and privilege has has always been a inevitable at the time part of what I think drives a, you know, seeking a, a life or seeking a um, career as an artist or in the arts in general. And, um, you know, I, I, I totally understand and have lived through the idea of how, like, these, you're feeling as though you didn't have access to opportunities or didn't have access to resources or didn't have the ability to, um, you know, make the financial sacrifices or whatnot in your personal life that you would have to do in order to, you know, work at a free internship or, or like, or, or whatnot or fund your projects. But I think that what I try to communicate and what I try to, um, how I try to approach this too is that you can either look at what you don't have as a hindrance or as an opportunity and that there's always a way to make something with what you do have and to do it not because someone gives you the permission to do it because they gave you a grant or a fellowship or an opportunity, but because you're making that opportunity for yourself. And I think that that's always going to be the case. But I also think that at a much larger level, at an both 
you know, across the field and in many organizations, we're trying to think more and prioritize more about the way that our privilege and our position as perceived gatekeepers of opportunities and people who have resources to give to artists, the way that we're really approaching not only who are the people that are receiving those opportunities and resources, but how we're meeting those people and how we're developing relationships with artists outside of the circle that we already have access to. And I think, you know, a lot of that has been for me too about just not, not even like resources that are specific to maybe budgets or contracts, but just like relearning myself about what assumptions that I make that are embedded in society or embedded in culture or embedded in these ideas of like, well, we've always done it this way, or this is the way it's done. And how do we move past that and evolve past that? And yeah, I mean, I think like the the resource, the one resource that I shared, which I think is just like an evergreen um, resource, is uh, the work of um, Andrew Simonette, who is a artist and educator and advocate, who for decades has been really doing a lot of work related to um, empowering artists to take ownership of their careers, ownership of their finances, ownership of their resourcefulness. And, you know, the other go-to uh, book that I always refer to is a, a book called The Gift by Lewis Hyde, which is a, a book about, essentially about the uh, idea of a gift economy and of an economy that is not related to you know, financial transactions, but gifts of any kind. And for me, it it was very powerful in demystifying the idea of asking for money and that, you know, putting different, like valuing creativity and valuing artistic work in a different way and not getting caught in, you know, thinking of like, well, why, why would I ever ask someone for money? Because like, what is this worth? What is what I'm doing worth? And to just kind of like build a context around um, how to uh, approaching the value of what you do, but also just, I'm kind of a pop culture junkie in a way. And so I've also been really diving in to where I can find cultural critique on pop culture from a more critical, diverse, inclusive lens. So I've been really obsessed lately with um, Still Processing, which is this podcast from the New York Times with two culture writers, um, Wesley and Jenna, who I just have such a crush on their intellect. And so that's really what I've been, it's not like directly related to budgets or anything, but just like, ways in which you're being introduced to a different critical lens on what we put value on in our society. So in the in the spirit of like um, gathering resources amongst 
like fellow artists and working together and transparency, I would love to ask you questions about 13P because it's something that was shared with me by a by Melissa Tian, one of the professors here um, in talking about different writer, writer's processes. And I know 13P doesn't exist anymore because it fulfilled its, but one of the things I, I love so much about it is that it's all, everything you did is is there on the website. So you can see all of it. And I, I just, I'm so curious about what that process was and how you got involved in it and what it was like working with, with all of those artists. I mean, I think it's, that's such a great and pure example of this idea of no one's coming. If you want, if you want the opportunity, you make it for itself. And, you know, I think it was a um, classic response at a certain point in in the American theater landscape where new plays and new play development was really a thing in its heyday, that that is what the powers that be in the in the American theater decided would be the focus of resources and the focus of attention would be developing new plays. And a lot of playwrights started to realize that you know, they 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 didn't become playwrights so that their plays could just be perpetually developed, but that they wrote plays because they were meant to be performed. And, um, you know, so often they felt that while they were, you know, finding so many opportunities for their plays to get workshops or to be commissioned or be read or, you know, have these like ongoing relationships with theaters where it was just like, are you ever gonna actually produce this play or are we just going to read it out loud over and over and over again that they decided, well, let's let's band together, let's share our resources, let's share our contacts, let's share the cachet and access that we all have into a communal pot where we say that we're going to produce a fully staged production of one play by each of us. And I think when um, Madeline George and Rob Handel sent out the call to like invite um, whether other people to show up, uh, 13 people showed up. And one of the, the, the legends is that, which is true, is like all 13 of them were never in the never in the same room together at the same time from inset i think one person was actually on the phone at the first meeting and never again in the entire 10 year or whatever history of the company were all 13 of the playwrights physically present in the same space even at our implosion party at the end but i got started with them because i through a connection to maria goyanas who was the at that time at the public theater, but also was the producer, the executive producer for 13P, sort of helping them facilitate the whole process. And, um, you know, in, in I think the same way that um, it, it really became a, uh, a training ground. And that as, you know, all of us who worked on, the, on that side of things for 13P were all volunteers. And I think the majority of us were doing it purely for, in the same way that, you know, I think the playwrights were like, the playwrights were also not taking, you know, a fee for um, the presentation of their play, but were doing it because it was, 
it was it was it was giving them the opportunity to control every aspect of a production process for a play that they wanted to see fully realized. And for all of us who were on the volunteer staff, I think it was also like, we want an opportunity. Like if I was gonna work for free, I didn't wanna get an internship at a big institution where I wasn't, where I was just going to be, you know, making copies or, you know, answering phones. Like I wanted to be, um, in the trenches and actively involved in learning what it took to both operate a nonprofit company, but also to produce a new work. And it was invaluable. It was my grad school. It, it was the, the trial by fire um, where I learned pretty much every skill that I still use today. And it, and I was also so fascinated by it because it was an experiment. It was an experiment with a finite date that it would end. And, and it was, it was so, um, I mean, I guess it was, you know, there's, there's so much of a expectation of longevity in what we do around, um, you know, institutions have to live forever and this like kind of sustainability model and 13P just rejected all of that outright. And that like confused a lot of people. And there were so many questions around like, well, why are you ending? Why are you ending? And it's like, well, because we did the thing and we don't want to do the thing again, but we want to prove we want to show people that the thing can be done and so we spent the better part of an entire year or more after the final production um archiving and putting together the history of the company so that you know with the intention that probably we didn't really recommend that anyone replicate it point by point but just saying like here's how it happened and hopefully that can inspire similar experiments to happen in the future. Thank you so much, Caleb, for this time and talking with yeah, us about everything. Before we wrap up, I'd love to ask, are there any projects you're working on with for that we should keep an eye on in the future? Yeah, many. <laughs> um, we, uh, so yeah, we, we're, we did not have a summer festival last summer for obvious reasons. And now we are, in the works of planning um, for a return to uh, live performance and bringing artists and audiences back together for um, a version of Summerscape in 2021. Um, that'll look a little bit different um, than it normally does. A lot of outdoor, act, uh, outdoor performances and activity, but I think that it's very exciting to, to just be able to have those conversations about what 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 are the things that we're choosing to offer as a as a return to uh, performance, and I I think I'm I'm really excited about what people are going to have the opportunity to engage with and experience both audit both the audiences and the artists um, for this summer. So that'll be uh, starting in July of of 2020 2021 sorry oh my god we've all lost track of time <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time and thank you for being here today yeah thank you very much i appreciate it
It was a wonderful talk. It was. Thank you. The Performance Lab podcast was brought to you by Contemporary Performance Network in association with the Sarah Lawrence College Theater MFA program. For more information, please visit our websites at www.contemporaryperformance.com or www.slctheater.com. Thank you.